Welcome to the Maximize Your Medicare podcast. Hi, everybody. My name is Jay O. I am the author of Maximize Your Medicare. I am also the host of the Maximize Your Medicare podcast. Today's podcast is not financial advice. It's not the offer or solicitation of any financial product of any sort, including but not limited to insurance. I'm not affiliated with the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, the official government agency that governs Medicare. I'm also not endorsing any specific carrier or any specific product, even though I am an expert contributor on a website powered by Humana, one of the nation's largest carriers. We do have clients around the country, and if you have questions, personal ones, on your private financial or Medicare matter, you can send me an email, jae at maximizeyourmedicare.com. With all that good stuff out of the way, we begin in five, four, three, two, one. All right, welcome to the Maximize Your Medicare podcast. It's Jay. It is, what day is it? August 22nd, I believe. Yep. And it's not been a very good week for the Affordable Care Act, otherwise known as Obamacare. You've seen headlines, or you may have seen headlines, which are saying that, well, all of Obamacare is being threatened. The other day, I received an email asking me for my comments by the journalist at the USA Today regarding what my observations were on Aetna and what people are supposed to do, as well as potential ripple effects onto Medicare. I've been asked on multiple occasions by multiple people about different topics. It's not clear whether or not they're going to be showing up up in there. I'll let you know as time comes. The reality is if I tried to flush out every issue here, we'd have like some three-hour podcast, which is crazy. You would shut it off. My voice would become even more hoarse. My voice would become even more nasal. So let's just try to boil it down to the main issues. First... Aetna had been accused of linking the proposed merger with Humana and its involvement in the Affordable Care Act. There seems to be some evidence of this via a letter from the Aetna CEO. And, you know, of course, the people who are trying to spin this topic in the way that they want, positively and negatively, they are out in force doing so. My two cents here is that if people are trying to use this to suggest that the carrier is doing something illegal or wrong, then, you know, that's very unlikely. It continues to be unlikely. When the Affordable Care Act first came into full effect where the individual mandate, meaning the requirement for every person to have medical insurance, health insurance, first became fully into effect. I made a number of comments about what I thought has gone wrong or where the law was actually inadequate. I'm not going to enter into the debate here today about whether or not the Affordable Care Act was lawful. I don't think there's any question that it's lawful. It was simply not what was being marketed. The Affordable Care Act is a tax. In in much of the same way, if it looks like a duck, quacks like a duck, paddles like a duck, it's a duck. The Affordable Care Act is a tax. 
So while you could say they don't have any right to do this to make you buy health insurance, reality is if I call the Affordable Care Act a tax and we agree, we have agreed for over 200 years that the government has the right to tax, then that makes the law lawful. That basically summarizes what the Supreme Court had actually said when it ruled on the constitutionality of the Affordable Care Act. It basically said, this is a tax, the government has the right to tax, end of story. The fact that it was described using other terms was a matter between elected officials and the electorate, meaning the voters, and that's a problem that has nothing to do with the Supreme Court or the lawfulness of the ability of the government to levy a tax. It's pretty difficult to argue with that line of reasoning that the Supreme Court actually used. All right, I've already shown you how complicated this is because I've diverted away from the original question, which is whether or not Aetna was in fact horse trading the offering of individual policies under state exchanges and threatening that if the justice system, the Justice Department had blocked the Aetna-Humana merger, that they would pull from the state exchanges. We could make all sorts of statements about how this is wrong and how could they do this and all the effect that it has on the entire world, this, that, and the other, but let's be very clear. This happens all the time in business everywhere. We don't have to be using health insurance as the industry to describe this type of activity. Have you ever all heard of Walmart? You go into Walmart and you go to the PC section and you see some price that seems too low to be true. If you take that price and you go over to the local PC retailer who is owned in your locality by somebody you might even know and say, hey, can you match this price? You know what they're going to tell you? They're going to tell you no. And the reason they're going to tell you no is because they tell you that Walmart has marked it down to a loss. They're taking a loss intentionally on a particular product to get you into the store. Now, I don't have anything against Walmart, for example. Uh, I go to Walmart. When I see something that looks really inexpensive, I'll go and check it out. Sure. Who doesn't? My point here is the notion that Aetna may have done this is just consistent with business practice on every topic, and it has nothing to do with healthcare. Now, the bigger effect, however, is the fact that this is going to leave lack of coverage in many locations. There are a bunch of different places on the Internet where you can see the fact that Aetna was a major carrier depending on where you live. However, the main takeaway here is the bottom line, which is that individual carriers are getting killed when they sell individual health insurance through their marketplace. And the reason they're getting killed is because the very persons who are enrolling in those policies are the ones who didn't have health insurance in the past, who didn't have the Medicaid expansion subsidy, which pushed down their net premium. And those persons also happen to be the ones with the highest cost of claims, which create losses at the sellers of health insurance, period. This is not an at a specific matter, this is happening across the board. I believe the most recent United Healthcare, which is the 
country's largest carrier, reported something like a loss of $850 million on the exchange plans, in other words, the individual health insurance plans that it offered on exchanges around the country. People might normally say, well, they're just going to make up that $850 million in the future by by compensating in order to increase rates. The Affordable Care Act disallows this. So the idea that the carrier is doing something wrong, wrong-minded, et cetera, et cetera, no, I, I just don't subscribe to that because the Affordable Care Act has safeguards in there. The rates have to be proven and approved by the regulator. It is completely consistent with what carriers are telling everyone and having to report to everyone that their loss experience on the exchanges is higher than expected. Now, to me, the real issue is the fact is, what do you mean higher than expected? What did you expect to happen? It was clear. You can just listen to the few minutes of this podcast. It's pretty clear what should have happened, and it just has. When the Affordable Care Act first came out, and I saw its structure and how the there were limitations on the carriers to charge particular prices of particular on particular people, it was candidly quite obvious what was going to happen. Older people, pre-Medicare people who would otherwise take the risk and simply wait for Medicare no longer had to do so and took the Medicaid expansion subsidy to push down their premiums lower than where it was in the past. Those persons are older and unless something has radically changed, older means more medical claims, period. The only way that this was going to be paid for was by every 27-year-old person who had never been sick, who is very unlikely to file claims for those persons to be enrolled in mass. Because the penalty was too low, those persons simply passed. So therefore, Insurance carriers, the health insurance carriers, didn't collect enough money from 27 and 28-year-olds to pay for the tons of claims that was certain to occur by the 62 and the 63-year-olds. Simply due to that imbalance, what has happened and the the results that the health insurance carriers are reporting was almost certainly going to occur. Now, you could say, well, Jay's just being Captain Hindsight on this after reporting after effect. That is actually not the case. In fact, somewhere out in the cloud are my comments. And in addition to that, I had run a Obamacare survival type seminar before this was actually enacted or before it actually became effective, which basically pointed out the fact that, in if anything, the penalty to younger persons was not high enough, not nearly high enough, because it became rational decision for a 27-year-old to simply not pay and just pay the income tax penalty. It's very unlikely that I've settled this topic, even though I've tried to explain this here to you in some terms that you can understand. There are many complicating factors here. You're going to see reports over the next month which are going to say that Obamacare premiums have started to skyrocket and especially so going into 2017, that is going to be true. It is beyond the scope of this podcast for the everyday listener, but basically there was a little provision in 
the Affordable Care Act, which would help protect health insurance carriers just in case they had a huge number of very high cost cases, that little layer of protection goes away in 2017. The result of that layer going away means that the sellers, meaning the insurance carriers, are going to face higher costs going into 2017. Therefore, they have to charge a higher premium. I put it to you this way, and it's a comment that I made to other persons in private as well as on podcasts in the past, which is that it's not that you don't want to be the buyer of health insurance here. It's actually that you don't want to be the seller. Let's just say that you are a corn farmer, and the restrictions were that you needed to put a price on your product. You had to keep that price stable. You couldn't change it throughout the year that you would eat all the losses if you ended up losing. And if you ended up making, you would have to return the excess difference. To make matters worse, you also had to establish those prices without any prior data about a new world. You didn't know whether or not there was going to be a bunch of new buyers of your corn. You didn't know if all of a sudden there was going to be a substitute for your corn and no one would buy corn at all. You didn't know something very important about the information of the buyers or the demand for your corn. Now just simply change corn farmer with the word health insurance carrier. That's not one word, is it? That's three words. Anyway, now you can kind of get to the point, which is the sellers didn't have some vital information which they could not have known in advance. And so those carriers that were offering insurance on the exchanges didn't have a vital input. Now, candidly, I wouldn't have chosen to even participate in the exchanges at any level. Why do you need to do that? There was nothing that said you were required to be a participant on the exchanges. And if you knew that the exchanges or suspected that the exchanges would be full of those persons who would not be able to afford health insurance in the past or were those likely who had been rejected in the past because of the elimination of the pre-existing conditions clause, should be kind of clear that the buyers were going to be precisely the ones that were going to cost you the most money in the coming year. And that's exactly what happened. Not very difficult to anticipate. So that's enough windbagging about the Affordable Care Act and Aetna and Humana, other than its effect on 2017. And I'm just going to leave you with the points for what would you do as a result of this because of the headlines and because of companies withdrawing themselves from the marketplace. First, if you live in a Medicaid expansion state and you receive the tax subsidy, you are going to have to check your plans and configurations annually. We don't live in a world any longer where you can take your health insurance or your pre-existing health insurance policies, put them into the bottom drawer, and leave them there. If the company withdraws from the exchange, you can also not get the subsidy. Therefore, you must use the mechanism of the subsidy in order to make the tax claim to get a lower premium and possibly lower cost sharing responsibilities. 
That may mean that you may need to change plans in 2017. There's no getting around this. Second, it doesn't matter for 2017 whether or not the Aetna Humana merger or the Cigna Anthem merger is approved or not. The plans are under the approval process. They're actually already approved, I largely expect. We are simply waiting for the actual details to come out and to be released. The calendar will start to become very busy. The mail will start to arrive in mass in the coming weeks. For those persons that are currently covered by Medicare and are participating with one of the, those four carriers, Humana, Aetna, Cigna, Anthem, you're going to have to understand that those carriers have been maneuvering in anticipation of a potential merger. This means that certain Medicare Advantage plans and standalone prescription plans should be expected to change. Depending on your location, some of the plans may withdraw from particular areas. Some of the plans may have been bought by other carriers, which was an accommodation made by one of those four insurance companies in order to try to gain approval for their two mergers. Let's not have a world where you're just simply going, well, they shouldn't be allowed to do this. This happens in business whenever there are buyouts or mergers all the time. There are selling of certain little parts in order to gain approval. That is happening now. Medicare persons will be affected nationwide. I'm going to make one last point before this podcast goes too long, which is people will think to themselves, they shouldn't be allowed to do this or why are they doing this? Or they may be really asking, why are these companies trying to merge and try to get bigger when we already have just a few dominant carriers? The reason is because these carriers are trying to increase their Medicare exposure, meaning much like the topic of Maximize Your Medicare, the fact is there are now, depending on who you ask, upwards of 58 million people on Medicare, 10,000 people a day. Those are facts. Those facts are irrefutable, and there's almost no way to change that absent some dramatic locusts or biblical type you know, plague. The sellers know this as well. And not only that, there is excellent information about the cost of covering you as a Medicare person. Therefore, even if the amount of money that a carrier can make is smaller, it is more certain and the information used in order to make calculations is far more stable. It goes back to the point and the reason for Medicare mayhem, which is the second book that's going to come out, which is that health insurance is simply a math of money exercise between the buyers and the sellers. It's a math of money exercise. It is not healthcare. Healthcare, again, is don't drink Jack Daniels every day in large quantities. Get your annual checkup. Don't be 30 pounds overweight. That's healthcare. Health insurance is a math of money exercise between buyers and sellers with details. If you don't confuse the two, you, the listener, the person who is examining whatever health insurance options, whether that be Affordable Care Act options, whether that be Medicare options, it is simply a matter of a competitive world 
where there are sellers and buyers. The sellers here are the carriers, the buyers here are you. They want, so the sellers, while they're defending themselves and trying to make their returns, which they are entitled to do, of which there are limits based on the law, the buyers can defend themselves by shopping correctly. It's notably absent here that you don't hear me windbagging or gasbagging about what is right or wrong. The reason is it can't be resolved. It can't be resolved because no matter what position I took, I could easily take the other position and sound completely rational. You know, I get asked occasionally by people socially or when I'm in professional appointments, what can we do to fix this? And do I have suggestions? Yes, I do. Is anyone asking me about what my suggestions might be? No, they're not. So we'll leave it there. Thank you very much for listening to the Maximize Your Medicare podcast. Please be sure to sign up for the free newsletter. You can also subscribe to this podcast everywhere. It is available everywhere that podcasts are given for free. Every platform out there, we should be appearing. Just type in Maximize Your Medicare you'll be able to see it. The book's up on Amazon. It's available in paperback and ebook format. It goes through the decision-making process, the point of the newsletter, the point of the book, the point of these podcasts is that the complication of this matter is number one, very important financially, and number two, this situation is not going away. I'm Jay. Thank you very much for listening.